John chapter 16, verse 2 says this. They're going to throw you out of the meeting places. There will even come a time when anyone who kills you will think he's doing God a favor. They will do things because they never really understood the Father. I've told you these things so that when the time comes and they start in on you, you'll be well warned and ready for them. Good morning. You know, every week we record the sermon in both of the services, and we upload it to the internet, we put it on our website, we upload it to iTunes, so that if you miss a week and you want to kind of follow along with what we're doing, you can subscribe in iTunes, or you can just go to iTunes and search Canton Church, you can find all the sermons that we've ever preached in now 216, 15 Sundays. Um, And so we've got that there, you can go to the website, you can listen to it, and we have people that listen every single week. Uh, we get emails from time to time. We have people that say it you know, to us when they come back to church. Hey, I was out last week, but I caught the podcast. Uh, some people are local. They just missed a service, and so they, they listen along, and they catch back up. And then there are other people who listen that they don't live in Canton. They don't live in Georgia. They're not anywhere around here. And one of those people is my dad. My dad lives in Ohio, and uh, he, he catches the podcast pretty regularly. He travels a good bit. So when he's in his car, he'll listen to the podcast. My brother's also a pastor, so sometimes he'll listen to me, and then he'll listen to my brother, and then, you know, that's terrible. So he'll come back and listen to me. And, um, <clears throat> so I'm recording this right now so that eventually when my dad listens to this podcast, he'll have to make reference to the fact that I'm acknowledging him. And if he never does that, then I'm going to know that he didn't listen to this sermon, Right? It's kind of like an episode or like a part of the movie Inception. Like you don't know what's real and what's not. Like right now, this is real. Dad, if you're listening, I love you. If you're not listening, you'll never know that I love you. Right? No, no, I don't know. So here's the deal. He listens, and he almost always says the same thing. Almost every single time that he listens to one of my sermons, he'll say, "Man, man, the introduction was great. Like, I don't know if he even means it anymore, but he says that every, I don't know if he just listens to the introductions. Like, I'm not sure what, but he'll just say, man, those, that introduction, like, you just sucked me in with that story. Like, you, you know, you said something, and man, I thought that was really, really good, and I mean, that just kind of hooked me in. Well, you got none of that today. What you got today was one of the most direct passages of Scripture, words of Jesus in the entire Bible. When he said in John chapter 16, they're going to kick you out of the church. And not only that, they're going to try to kill you. They may actually succeed in killing you. And while they're trying to kill you and while they're kicking you out of the church and when they actually do kill you, they're not doing that because they think they're not following me. They're actually doing that thinking that they're following me, that they're loving me, that they're serving me when they kick you out of the church, when they try to kill you, when they succeed in killing you. And and I love this. I, I giggle almost every time I read it. And here's what he says. He says, And I'm not telling you because I'm going to stop it. No, no, no. I'm going to let it happen. But when it happens, I just want to make sure that you remember that I warned you about it. Like, I don't know how Jesus expected the disciples to respond right here. Like, what were they supposed to do? Thanks, Jesus. Like, thank you for telling me they're going to kick me out of the church. Thank you for telling me they're going to try to kill me. Thank you for telling me that they think they'll be following you. Like, he just says, listen, here, it, it is coming. The day is coming where they're going to kick you out of the church, and they're going to try to kill you, and they're going to succeed in some respect. And listen, when it happens, don't say I didn't tell you. That's what he says. This is a very direct, almost comfortless passage of Scripture where Jesus is telling them that, listen, there's something happening here. And it's going to happen in the near future. And you need to know that this is coming and that I'm aware that it's going to happen. So let's just keep reading here in the second 
part of verse 4 all the way down to the first part of verse 7 in John 16. It says this, I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day. But now I'm on my way to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. So let me say it again, this truth. It's better for you that I leave. Now, I've talked about this a good bit, but how incredible would it have been to have Jesus just kind of standing right in front of us? Not like in the way we have today where we are assured of his presence, where we know he's with us, like we can feel his presence, we know, like we read the scripture, like not that, I'm talking about like he's literally right there. Like I can see him with skin on, I can talk to him, I can interact with him. Like how incredible would that have been? Like just think about it, like if you've got a question, something you don't understand about faith or Christianity or about God, like you don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to try to interpret the scriptures necessarily. Like you could just go, Jesus, what do you think that means, right? Because he was standing right there. Now, Jesus always did this incredible thing. He would try to be as confusing as possible when he answered questions like that, so you still had to kind of dig for the truth. But how incredible would it be that if you have a question, you ask him, and he provides the answer? Question answered, right? That's, you're done. Like just imagine walking with Jesus, and you're hungry, what do you have to do? Just gather a crowd and steal a boy's lunchbox. Problem solved. Right? Like, I'm hungry. Jesus, what are you going to do about this? Right? I don't even know if the 5,000 people were hungry. I think the disciples were just hungry that day. And so what did they do? They gathered a crowd. Hey, Jesus, these folks are getting hungry. And they went and stole a little boy's lunchbox. Full, right? Basketfuls left over. They got to-go boxes, right? How incredible would that be? You feeling a little under the weather? Feeling a little sick? I mean, I don't feel like I even have to finish this illustration. What do you do? You just be, Jesus? <clears throat> Not feeling great. <clears throat> like, can you, can you do something about this, Jesus? Like, here's a mud pie. I got something in my eye. Like, he just fixes that. That's funny. Come on, y'all. You got you to gotta hang with me here today, right? Tamiflu ain't got nothing on Jesus, right? You just, you just walk up and be like, Jesus, I'm not feeling great. Can you, can you do something about this, right? How incredible would that be? And then Jesus says to them, listen, as incredible as this is, like as wonderful as you think this is, I'm leaving. I'm going away. And every time that I tell you I'm going away, you just get more sad about it. But this is not something that's sad. This isn't something you should be upset about. This is actually a really good thing that I'm leaving you. How dumb does that sound? Right? I mean, this incredible Jesus right in front of us, who can answer our questions and, you know, feed us when we're hungry and heal us when we're sick and confound us with the, like, he's right there. And he says, hey, I'm leaving, but don't be sad about it because it's, it's actually a really good thing. Imagine if you would, like, your spouse, like your husband or your wife, they tell you they're leaving. Some of you have experienced that. That's a, that's a sad thing, no matter what's been going on in your marriage. And if they were to try to assure, no, 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 this is actually a good thing. This is better for you that I leave. And I don't need anybody saying, yeah, you're right, it was better that they left, Right? And then we say, okay, well, what about like a best friend? Like somebody that I have known for years. We do life together. We kind of hang out. We do a lot of fun things together. And they say, listen, I'm leaving. But this, this, don't be sad. This is exciting. If your kids were to say to you like, hey, mom, dad, I'm divorcing you as parents. I'm, 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 I'm leaving. I'm moving to Africa. There's nothing you can do about it. But listen, don't be sad about it. This is actually really, really exciting. If my 11-year-old did that to me, I would... 
do a lot of things, but I don't know that I would be excited about it, right? And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. He's saying, no, 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 listen, listen. Don't be sad. This is a good thing for you that I'm leaving. This is not a bad thing. So let's get to the resolve of the story here. Why is this a good thing? Finishing verse 7 and reading all the way down to verse 11. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. Their righteousness comes from above, where I am the Father, out of their sight and control. The judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world and is brought to trial and convicted. Now, I'm reading here these last few uh, verses of Scripture. I'm reading from the message translation. It's not really, if we're being being 100% honest here, it's not really a translation. It's a paraphrase. The message is uh, by a great scholar and other people that helped in the research where they went to the original language and they tried to make it as conversational as possible. So it's never really uh, trying to take away from the words of Scripture and what was said and what Jesus said. It's never trying to do that, but it's trying to take those words and put them into a conversational language that you and I would be talking about. So it's not word-for-word translation from the original text. It's not even really a phrase-for-phrase translation. It's more of a paraphrase of the original language of Scripture. And so no matter what version of Scripture you may be reading, if you're reading the NIV or the ESV or New King James or King James, whatever you're reading, that's fine. But in the message, when he said right there in in the uh, end of verse 7, he said, if I don't leave, the friend won't come. The word there for friend in your translation may say counselor, may say advocate, it may say helper, uh, something like that that's something a little different than friend. But here's what we know. In the Greek, we're talking about paraclete, We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus is saying to them, listen, if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. The advocate, the the, the one that's the counselor, the friend, the helper, he won't come. Now, if you can imagine kind of the counselor advocate imagery that, that Jesus is using here. Imagine being a lawyer in a courtroom and a lawyer is helping to stand kind of between you and the judge and helping you to understand maybe the proceedings that are taking place that you don't quite grasp and helping to make sure that your kind of position is defended to the court. And so that, that intermediary there that is helping you, that counselor, that, that advocate is responsible for helping make sure that in that surrounding, in that context, that you have someone who's helping to kind of make your case and to help you understand what's happening. And so Jesus is using this imagery here when he's describing the Holy Spirit. And so he said to the disciples, if we put it all together, he said, listen, they're going to kick you out of the church. They're going to try to kill you. They're going to do that in my name. They think they're helping me when they try to do that. But don't be sad about it because I've told you that I'm leaving. And even when I tell you I'm leaving, you don't ask where I'm going. You just get sadder about it. But here's the deal. I am going away, and that's a good thing, because if I don't leave, then the helper's not coming. Then the Holy Spirit's not coming. So let's don't rush past this just for a moment. Remember how incredible it was that Jesus was right next to them. Think about all the benefits that they would receive from Jesus being right there, and think about what Jesus actually said to them. As incredible as it is for me to be beside you, it's more important that the Holy Spirit come to be in you. Like, that would be, like, I can't go back. Like, unless the DeLorean's a real thing, I cannot go back to that day. Y'all got to get with me today. 9.15 had a little more energy than 11 today. Come on, let's lift it up a little bit. Listen, unless that's a real thing, I can't go back 
and stand there and listen to Jesus teach and watch him do the miracle. Like, I can't do that. I can never go back to the place where Jesus is standing next to me. But I can live in the place where the Holy Spirit can live in me. And so Jesus said something to a group of people that would not fully understand it because he was still standing there, that you and I actually have probably a better ability to understand because we've never walked with skin-to-skin Jesus, right? So the idea that there's something better than that, that promise to us is better than that, we go, okay, all right, so we've got a one-up on the disciples here. We've actually got something that we get to do that they didn't get to do that they didn't fully understand. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about one-third of what we call the Trinity. The Trinity is, again, a very confusing idea. The Holy Spirit in and of himself is a confusing idea for a lot of us, but, you know, the, the Trinity is this thing, this nature. It's God, but it's three distinct parts of God. So some of you are familiar with this idea, you've heard this, you, you, you understand, but we've got God the Father, we've got God the Son, the person of Jesus, and we have God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so this, this trinity, this triune part of God, is three distinct and separate and yet one all in the same God. And again, I know that's so confusing. I remember hearing in children's church, you know, it's the egg, you've got the, the yolk and the whites, and the, I mean, like, it's just, it's, but it's oh, the egg, well, there's a little bit lacking in that illustration, but okay, I get it. There's a couple of parts of something that's the same. Like, okay, I don't know that that does God justice, but maybe in our little human minds, like that's the best we can come up with. So we've got this Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book a few years ago called The Forgotten God. The Holy Spirit's this person, this thing that we forget about, that we relegate to the side because we don't really know how to deal with him. We don't know what he is, what he does, if he's a he, if it's a thing, if it's an it. Like, we don't know what to do. The Old Testament seems to be the story of God the Father and his people. The New Testament seems to be the story of God the Son and his interaction with humanity and the reconciliation of man back to God the Father. And every now and then we hear about the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and what's happening. I What's the role? What's the place? Like, what's the, how do we, how do we do this? So here's what I know. I cannot unpack all of this today. I couldn't unpack all of this in a year. But I'm going to do my best over the course of two weeks to try to unpack this idea of the Holy Spirit for us in a very practical way that honors Scripture. So today is part one, and part two comes in three weeks, okay? And I'm not even kidding about that. The next two weeks, we're going to talk about missions, and then we'll come back on March the 13th. So make sure you're here, because I really think it's important for us as a community to really have a basic understanding and a common understanding of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about this idea of the Holy Spirit and what Christ was saying to us in John chapter 16, when he's talking to us about this idea that it's better for him to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come and live in us and be with us and serve as that counselor and serve as that advocate and help us to understand truth and to help judge the world and bring into conviction and bring into correction everything that is not of God. But I realize in a room like this, we all have a different understanding of the Holy Spirit. Like some of us are so comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit We're so comfortable in environments and worship services where we're welcoming the Holy Spirit to be here and to have his way and do whatever he wants to. And some of us are like, okay, that freaked me out a little bit, and I'm not really sure how I feel about that or what I think about that. So today what I want to try to do is just take us right back to Scripture and unpack some of these ideas 
about what I believe to be just very scripturally uh, clear understanding of the Holy Spirit in us. And again, this is not going to be an exhaustive idea, but I believe it's important because Jesus said it was more important that the Holy Spirit be in us than for him to be with us. That's important to me. So if the Holy Spirit's going to be in us, let's just jump to that. If the Holy Spirit is going to be in us, what does that look like? How does that flesh itself out? Well, very simplistically, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. You got a Bible, flip with me to Galatians chapter 5. It's later in the New Testament where we've been. If not, it'll be up on the screen. We're just going to read two verses. Many of you could quote some of these verses easily. You've studied these, you know these. But Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, this is what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things... There is no law. I realize that that is so simplistic. I realize like when you hear that, you go, yeah, okay, I get it. But I, I want you to tell me, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to be in me? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, right, self-control. So the fruit shows us what's on the inside. Like I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm, not, a, I'm not a nature guy. I'm very upfront with that. Everything I plant dies, okay? Very upfront with that. But here's the thing. I know for sure that I can't walk up to a plant and look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's a, and give you that really long phrase. Instead of just saying sunflower, I'd say the ichthyus, the whatever. Like Pastor Blake can do that. Our children's pastor, our group's pastor. Like he can give you like every real name of every plant that's ever existed. He worked at like some kind of garden place for like a, a while in high school. We make a nursery, thank you. See, I don't even know what they're called. So he can do that. I can't, I can't look at a plant and go, oh, that's a whatever, unless <laughs> it's blooming. And then I'm like 50-50, right? If there's something on the outside that I can see, that I can identify, then I go, okay, well, that's, that's, obviously, that's obviously an apple tree, right? Why would I say that? Because there are apples on that tree. I can look at certain plants and go, oh, that's, that's a rose bush. I don't know rose bushes by their seed, but I know them by their bloom, right? I don't know an apple tree seed by its seed. Maybe you do. You could look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's an apple tree seed. That's a, there's, I went to an apple orchard with my son on a field trip a couple months ago. Like there are all kinds of different apple trees that produce different kinds of apples, which I'm assuming means that there are different types of seeds. I have no idea. Ignorance is bliss in this moment. I have no idea. When I'm walking through an orchard, I go, hey, that's an apple. I'm pretty confident when I say that because I can tell by the fruit, I can tell by the bloom what it is. So here's the thing. I cannot look at you and tell what's on the inside of you, but I can look at you and tell what's on the outside of you. I can look at you and tell you what fruit is being displayed by your life. And I believe by doing that, I'm actually able to see what's on the inside of you. Like, that's the principle that exists here. If I look at you and see a certain type of fruit, I know that you carry that type of seed, right? And so when I read this in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I see those fruit displayed in your life, then I say that there is the seed of the Holy Spirit inside of you. 
I, I, don't, I can't always tell what's going on on the inside of you until I look at the outside of you. Now, I get, don't judge a book by its cover. I get there are people that are as far from God as possible that are really patient and kind. I still believe, because I believe in the creative order of God, that's still the seeds of God creating them. That's what I believe. But I believe that the work of the Holy Spirit in me is the constant, evolving, molding, shaping work in me to produce the character, the fruit of God in my life. Every one of those fruit that you see is a character attribute of God the Father. The Holy Spirit's not off creating fruit that don't display the nature of God, right? Because they're one. They're one and the same. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life makes me look more like God, Because that fruit represents the seed of God in my life. And so for me, if I'm I'm looking at the fruit of my life or of yours, then it's, it's easy for me to begin to identify the seed that lives inside of you. Now, a lot of times when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, what are we concerned with? Maybe not you, but I I grew up Pentecostal. I've been a part of Pentecostal charismatic worship services, and I love it. Don't fault it even a little bit. If you're you're here today to hear me say something bad about that, I won't do it. Are there things that have been done and manipulated? Absolutely. But listen, I believe that God's a God of order. I believe the Holy Spirit helps to bring that into order. And I believe it's my job through discernment to discern and to listen to the voice of God to go, yeah, that's me. You can corroborate what's happening right now with my word, to know that this is me at work in your midst. And so I love it. I believe it. But a lot of times we're so concerned with that demonstration of the Holy Spirit that we neglect this inward work of the Holy Spirit. right? Because here's what we know. And and, and maybe you're not like this. I could be sitting over here between my wife and Pastor Trevor, and I could be sitting right there in between them, And, like, the band could sing my song. Like, I don't know what your song is, but, like, they could sing my song. Like, it's my jam. Like, I love it. Right? And I, hands up, like, this is it. Like, the presence is here. It's far. Like, I love it. Right? And my wife's standing beside me while I'm just worshiping God and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit's at work in in this room. and And then I go home this afternoon. And, you know, the kids spill something, which is like a 100% chance of that happening today. They spill something, and I scream at my four-year-old. How could you do that? Why did you not go to the cabinet that's taller than you and get out a lid and put it on the cup yourself, four-year-old, so that you would not spill something in my house? Right? It sounds dumb when I say it that way, doesn't it? But don't we do that? If my wife says, hey, listen, I need to tell you something, but I don't want you to be mad. And I'm like, absolutely, babe. I would never get mad at you. And then she tells me what she needs to tell me, and I bite her head off. Do you think she's more concerned with me worshiping during my worship jam on Sunday morning or not exhibiting patience, not being kind? Like if the people that I work with Monday through Friday are talking about me behind my back and they're saying about me, man, that guy's mean. He's bitter. 
He's always angry. Do you think that if they showed up on a Sunday morning, they would be able to reconcile that image of me and my cubicle image of me? Because I think a lot of times, like I'm a, I'm a pastor, so I hear a lot of dumb things. Not from you, from other people that I know. But, and we are inundated with this worry about these external manifestations of the Holy Spirit. What song we're singing, what song we're not singing, what's being preached, what's not being preached, what's being said, what's not being said, what's being done in a service, what's not being done in a service. And if the words of Jesus in John 16 are to be believed, and if it connects in any way to Galatians chapter 5, I wonder what would happen if people were less concerned about the work of the Holy Spirit in this room and more concerned about the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart. Like, I wonder if I just quit worrying about what the manifestation externally, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in a room like this, if I was less concerned with that, and I started from a place of concern about what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life, how it would change this room. How it would change my job. How it would change my home. Because I, I, I think sometimes in our attempt to experience the freedom of the Holy Spirit, we've actually boxed the Holy Spirit in, haven't we? Because what we did is we said, the Holy Spirit moves when we sing these types of songs. In the church that I grew up in, it was on Sunday nights after the third key change of the third song. Don't laugh too much, you'll tell on yourself. That's when the Holy Spirit worked. That's when the Holy Spirit was demonstrated. But the Holy Spirit didn't work in my home. The Holy Spirit didn't show up in my car on the way to work. The Holy Spirit doesn't manifest himself on my lunch break. Or does he? Through my kindness, my gentleness, my goodness, through my self-control. I think sometimes we're so worried about the Holy Spirit out here that we forget about the Holy Spirit in here. And Jesus said, no, no, listen, there's something really important that I don't want you to miss. It's better for you that I leave so that the counselor, the friend, the helper, the advocate can come and bring correction and bring conviction. He can counsel you in the ways of God. He can help you become more like God. I think Jesus was on to something here. Because as incredible as it would be for Jesus to be standing right beside me, and it would be incredible, like everything else, eventually that probably gets a little old. I mean, we've seen him do miracles before. Right? I mean, we've heard him say that before. Oh, that's a new one. I, I hadn't heard Jesus say that. I mean, he talked about the kingdom of heaven being like a farm last time, and now it's like a field. That's, that's different. Okay, that's... Eventually, it's a little bit old, but the work of the Holy Spirit in me is constant. It's fresh. It's personal. It's going on in my heart and in my life to shape and to mold me. I think sometimes we're just worried about what the Holy Spirit's doing in rooms like this.
But we weren't left only to wonder if that was important or not. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians helps us to understand what spiritual gifts are all about, and I encourage you to come back in three weeks. We're going to talk about that. He talks about spiritual gifts, he talks about tongues and speaking in tongues, and he talks about prophecies, and he talks about miracles, and he talks about all these things in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. He talks about what it looks like to have those manifestations, those demonstrations of the power of God when we're gathered together in corporate settings like this, and how that looks, and what it's for, and what are its purposes, and what are not its purposes, if that's correct grammar, and how, how do we do that? And then right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 is this chapter that we reference all the time, but we do it separated from the context of what the Apostle Paul's talking about. And it says this, beginning in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I don't think these things have to be mutually exclusive. I don't think we can only focus on the work of God in us without realizing that God is at work around us and among us. I don't think that we neglect the manifestations and the, the display of God's giftings in our gatherings. I think we celebrate that. But I think if we are not careful, we will neglect that work in us. When he says, listen, it doesn't really matter how I am displayed if you don't love each other. Listen, you, you, can, you can have the most exuberant worship in the world. If you're not kind to one another, what does that prove? Like you, you, could, you could know everything there is to know about me. But if you don't have patience, if you have no self-control, how are people supposed to believe that you are operating under the direction, the guiding, and the leading of God the Father, following the example of God the Son, through the work of God the Spirit in you, if you don't look or sound anything like me, except for 45 minutes on a Sunday. Like, shouldn't the work of the Holy Spirit be more accessible, more visible, more available? when we're with people that need to see the demonstration of God's power, that need to see a reflection of the nature of Christ's character in us? I don't know if it's more or less, but it's at least equal, right? Wouldn't God utilize people like me and you every single day of the week so that if there are people who are searching in this world to understand what it means to look like Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. Like if they're searching, if they're looking, they don't have to come to a service first. They can just look to you because you say that you're his follower. They can see how you treat your coworkers. They can see how you treat your spouse. They can see how you treat your kids. They can see how you treat your boyfriend and your girlfriend. They can see how you act in school. Or are you cheating on tests just like everybody else in your class? They can see if you cheat on your taxes, right? I mean, God forbid that our accountant knows that we're a Christian and then we ask him to cut corners, right? And I mean, like, who should know that we're a follower of Christ? And how would they know unless they see love, joy, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. In three weeks, we're going to talk about God, the Holy Spirit at work through us. But today, I wanted to make sure we all understood that God, the Holy Spirit, wants to work in us. I don't know what the seeds of your heart are, but I can see your fruit. And so can other people. And so here's two evaluation questions today. If you're just trying to evaluate the work of the Holy Spirit in you, if you're trying to evaluate the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, here's two questions that I think will help all of us. First, what's your fruit? What's your fruit? Are you consistently demonstrating patience? Consistently demonstrating love? Are you working to create more and more self-control in your life with the help of God? Like, what's your fruit? Again, it's easier a lot of times to see what's on the outside rather than try to figure out what's going on the inside. So just start with, what's your fruit? Because the fruit of these things is the fruit of the Spirit. Spirit-led living. Or, or does my fruit actually speak to self-made man living, self-made woman living? That I'm my own God. I'm in control. And so I'm, I'm loving sometimes, but other times I'm angry. I'm patient sometimes, but I mean, like, we can't expect to be patient all the time. The kid just keeps spilling a drink. Like, eventually, I'm going to lose my patience, right? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not in there. your fruit? What's being displayed? What's on the outside? What can people see? It's not about performance. Like what? What's coming out of my life? Second of all, what's your root? Come on, that's good. That's good, right? What's your fruit? What's the root? Like once you've evaluated the outside, time to take a hard look on the inside because it's easy if you go hey love joy peace patience like I'm that's my fruit the root Holy Spirit I win right you go no 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 I'm, I'm angry more than I should be and that's not just a fruit there is a root inside of me that creates that anger I respond I'm mean-spirited. I, I use harsh words when they're not called for. I don't know why I do that. There, there's a root inside of me. There's this thing inside of me that I, I need to address. And I encourage you, go talk to somebody. Go talk to a counselor. They can help dig those things out of you and help you address those things. And Hey, listen, you think it's just the fruit of being angry or using harsh words or being bitter and being like, no, no, no. Let's, let's, let's chase that a little bit and figure out where that comes from. Because more and more I want what's on the inside of me to come out of me and to reflect the character and the nature of God. God desires to work in us. So much so he took the person of Jesus away from the earth and he said he's going to come back but in the meantime here's the Holy Spirit to 
do a work in you so that people can see me. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for the Holy Spirit. I thank you today, God, for the work of the Spirit in our lives. I thank you for the incredible demonstrations of the Holy Spirit that we've experienced. Some of us many times, others of us, maybe just a few but to just reveal your power and your might. Reveal who you are in settings like this. And God, I pray that you would help us not to neglect your work in us. God, we would be aware that you desire to do something in us. And if we're trying to figure out where we're at in that process, we just gotta look at the fruit. What does our life display? God, in the midst of that, I pray that we would maybe root out those things that we see that don't look like you. Not just the behavior, but what causes that behavior? God, bring healing to the places of our heart that need healing. Help us to forgive those who have wronged us, sometimes even years prior. It's causing us now to exhibit things that do not reflect you. God, do the work in us so that you can do amazing things through us. I believe 